In case you're not familiar with the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead or would like a reminder, I want to briefly summarize that event. You may remember that someone tells Jesus that a dear friend, Lazarus, is very ill. Even so, Jesus chooses not to rush to his aid by his side. And it wasn't that he couldn't. It was that he wouldn't. Now those with Jesus at the time were confused by this. But Jesus assures them that there is a very good reason that I don't go to him now. Now as a result, Lazarus dies, as we know. And days later, Jesus shows up to a throng of grieving friends. Not only are they grieving, but they are hurt and they are confused by Jesus' choice to not help such a close friend, especially as some of them pointed out. He was able to raise and to heal complete strangers. Why not his friend Lazarus? His reasoning, as he tells them at the time, is I'm going to show you something that you may already know, but don't fully understand. And, and that being that he is a resurrection and the life and that those who believed in him might have eternal life. And, but, but Jesus, we understand that already. We know that we're going to be raised from the dead. We believe that. But what they could not fathom is what happened next. Jesus asked them to open the tomb. And Mar Martha famously cringed and, at this thought and telling Jesus, you're too late. So late that she tells him, if you open that, we're going to smell because he's been there for three days nonetheless the tomb is opened jesus calls out lazarus lazarus walks out and they unbind him from his burial cloths everyone's amazed some believed who did not believe before and this becomes a very pivotal moment the chief priests were on the scene and they saw that when Lazarus was raised from the dead that they had troubles now. They immediately knew that such a thing would cause Jesus' movement to grow. And that would threaten their control and their power to lead the people. And they could not have that. They could not have Jesus upsetting the status quo. So we are told that a plot to kill and arrest Jesus begins. John tells us that Jesus no longer walked around in openly for a few days he went to a place called Ephraim a wilderness area and he remained there with his disciples that was about 12 miles north of Bethany everything cooled down over the next few days and indeed Jesus and the disciples come back to to this meal where we pick up our story today but once again Jesus draws attention to himself but this time not only to himself what we will learn very soon is that no one had ever met someone raised from the dead in Bethany. Everybody wanted to know and to meet and to talk to Lazarus about what had happened. But the consequences now are that not only is Jesus in danger, but there is a plot to kill Lazarus as well. And this because people were indeed deserting. The worst fear of the scribes was coming to bear. Now on the very next day in the Sunday that we will celebrate next week with the choir leading us is Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and in Palm Sunday. The story moves forward closer to Holy Week, are we now? So this celebratory dinner today, it stands between two murder plots and it's the day before that story. And one might think that a dinner celebration in this time, in this place, with his closest friends, 
to celebrate raising a friend from the dead. Yes, that's the perfect thing to do in this time and space, in the midst of all that surrounds them. But as we learn in our story today, all is not well among the friends of Jesus. Quite literally, the aroma of another conflict fills the room. Martha is serving dinner. Jesus and Lazarus and others are at the table. When Mary steps in and she pours a whole pound, 300 denarii worth of perfume on Jesus' feet and, and washes them off with her hair, what a moment. And this was shocking. Perfume was not some luxury item that the disciples carried around. It was, it was its own currency. Set aside the fact of such a, a, an extravagant act in and of itself. This amount was far than, more than any one person could afford. And Judas sees this and he quickly complains and he says he's upset because it couldn't feed the poor. But John has told us that's not his worry. His worry is he had been taking from the coffers, skimming off the top, and she was costing him money. And once more, we learn that Judas is also conspiring. So Mary's choice to unload a, a whole pound of perfume on Jesus' feet, can you imagine how overwhelming that was to the senses? Martha, who had prepared that meal, no one could smell her food any longer. I bet she didn't like that too much. When Haley was four years old, I asked if I could share this today. She was four years old, and she decided to try her mom's perfume once, and she soon discovered that one pump is good, but 15 is better. <laughs> so she walked into the living room and for the first moment, I'm like, oh, wow, what a pleasant smell. Someone's got, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it permeated everything in the room, and I, I, I couldn't smell anything else there. So much perfume that, that it got my attention, and it wasn't pleasant even. This was supposed to be a celebratory dinner with Mary and Martha and Jesus. This was supposed to be a chance to to recognize a second chance of life and a resurrection. But it turns out to be one more event reflecting the life and death nature of Jesus' ministry and the struggle of what it meant to be his friend. How hard that could be. A meal meant to bring comfort and joy. It's overpowered by the presence of hidden agendas in a, in a foul reality. If we were to be in the room, if we were to read the room, we would have seen heads nodding in approval of what Judas had to say. We would have probably seen those who understood exactly what Mary was doing, and no doubt people were beginning to talk on the sides. But in the midst of it all, if we can take a step back, what we see is something prophetic. Mary's emptying the perfume on Jesus' feet is a deeply prophetic action. She's letting us know who Jesus is. She was celebrating what he had done in part, but she's also letting us know what it means to be the Messiah, what was to come for him. She knew the price of this perfume paled to the price that Jesus was about to pay. He was about to pay the price of his life so that others might live. And the irony of this moment is that because he raised someone back to life, it assures his own death. 
In fact, Mary's using this perfume precisely for what it would have been purchased for, and this is why she bought it. It would have been purchased to prepare the body of one who had died for burial. So she was not wasting it at all. This is exactly what it was for. It was being used properly, even if extravagantly, for the Messiah who would give his life sacrificially. And not even 300 denarii could equal the value of that truth. A scene was once caused in a stewardship conference. A presenter was talking about giving our money directly to God. And towards the end of his teaching, he pulled a $100 bill out of his pocket. He set it on fire and, and put it in a dish on the table for all to watch that $100 bill turn to smoke until it was all gone. And he prayed, Lord, I'll offer this gift to you and to you alone. We can imagine how the room reacted. Some started fidgeting in their seats at this green bill that turned to sacrificial smoke. Someone suggested sarcastically, well, if he's got $100 to burn, maybe he'll give us the rest of it so that we can have it. And some thought it was a waste. And to their discomfort, he said, do you understand? I'm offering it to God, and that means it's going to cease to be useful for the rest of us once I give it to God. He wanted to point out that this $100 bill was gone, but he bet they would never forget the lesson. He wanted to teach them that they could all come to see that everything we have is already God's. Then as far as he was concerned, that was money well spent. You see, this perfume that Mary poured out on Jesus' feet, worth well more than $100, it has evaporated. It's gone. It, it's not coming back. And even if the smell of it is long gone, here we are talking about it still. All these years later, thousands of pounds of perfume have come and gone in 2,000 years, but this one pound of perfume, it's still making an impact on us today. The significance of her actions still contributes to our understanding of who Christ is, and because of that, nothing was wasted. Mary knew that Jesus was a gift of God, given to us without any reservation. But she also knew that she must also be willing to pay a price herself without reservation because of this gift. She had bought this perfume for this and no other reason. So how then, we might ask, do we pour our lives out like Mary poured this perfume out on Christ's feet? I've been to Bethany, actually, in Israel. And it's actually in Palestinian territory, firmly, actually. So when you, when you drive from Israel into Palestine, there's a red sign there that essentially says you're putting your own life at risk if you go beyond this point. And it says it in two or three different languages, if I recall correctly. The point is... We will no longer protect you once you cross this line. Of course, this speaks to the ongoing tension of, of Palestine and Israel. But while we were there, we visited a chapel near the traditional site of Lazarus' tomb. And at the end of our singing time and devotional, and while we were singing, we began to hear a noise outside being broadcast. It was coming from a nearby minaret. 
It was not a regular prayer time. So our guide went out to see what was going on. He returned to say that there was a funeral taking place at a neighboring mosque. Hence, here we were in Lazarus's chapel, thinking about his life and death. And next to us, we hear prayers for the deceased in a nearby mosque in a funeral. It didn't escape me that moment. So soon after that, we walked where the traditional site was of Lazarus's tomb, and we walked down into a rather small hole where only a couple of folks could fit. And after a few minutes, we began to exit. And as you come out, you can see the light above you. And as you walked out, I focused on that light. And I imagined that Lazarus would have seen something very similar as he walked out alive again. Being in Bethany, thinking about Lazarus being dead and then alive again, the funeral and the mosque, it all had me thinking about my own mortality. I wondered what death and resurrection might be like. I wonder what Lazarus might tell me about such things. Our mortality is just one of the things that we are invited to consider in this season of Lent. And it's one reason we put ashes on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday. But it's not a morbid consideration. It is sobering. But it's also an acknowledgement of how amazing it is that there is a resurrection, that there is forgiveness, that there are second chances in this life. But as I came out of the tomb, my eyes adjusted to the lights, and right in front of me now was the, was the, uh, the funeral at the mosque had become a procession in the streets. So he set off to the side, really not knowing what the protocol was. His families came walking past in their, in their grief. And our guy Jimmy was a Palestinian Christian. And I found out that day he was from Bethany. This was his hometown. So being from there, he knew the family quite well. And he walked immediately to those leading the procession, offered condolences, and they all surrounded him as anyone would a beloved neighbor. And I watched that these Christians and Muslims together greeted and embraced one another in holy kisses. And that moment still reminds me that our world can be divisive. It can be full of danger and anger and even death. Yet here I was in a whole nother world to me, seeing tears and the embraces of people who grew up together next door to one another in different faiths in the same place. And it was a moment ripe with faith and struggle. And as I heard them speak in in words of love and support in a language I could not understand, somehow I knew that I was way more than a visiting tourist to the Holy Land. I was a mortal human being standing among other mortal human beings and all of us doing our best to understand God and each other and life and death and all of our incomplete and limited understandings. So it is today with Mary. She invites us to consider death and resurrection. Jesus's and ours. One day I will take my last breath. And when that day comes, to the bottom of my soul, I want to, to let God know that I invested in others as God invested in me. But I also have to confess that there were times I did not and have not. 
Indeed, sometimes I wonder, and I invite you to wonder with me, what will it be like to give account of my life? What, God wants, what will God want to know and what will God want me to know? I doubt very much that God will want to know very much about my titles or my investments or rewards or worldly successes. But what I do imagine is God will be very interested to know were you shameless when it came to pouring out your love on others as Christ pours his love out upon you? Did you feed the hungry? Did you forgive those who sinned against you? Did you show mercy? Did you risk yourself on behalf of others? Did you give God your whole life? Did you embrace and love your enemies as Christ did? Did you pour out your life, in other words, in the same way Mary poured this perfume out on Jesus' feet that day? You and I get to come to this table in a moment. And the very same Christ that you pour that perfume out invites us to come to this table. And from this table, we will meet the abundant, the never-ending, the amazing grace of God, the one who loves us. So may we, as Christ poured himself out for us, give of all of ourselves in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite us, to, as I prepare the table, to open your hymnals to the great thanksgiving. <laughs>